A little more than four years ago, Donald Trump sat down for his very first interview as president-elect. Well, congratulations, Mr. Thank Trump. You. You're president-elect. Thank you. How surprised were you? Well, I really felt we were doing well. I was the interview was with CBS journalist Leslie Stahl of 60 Minutes, who pressed Trump on his campaign promises, whether he would separate his business interests from his new job, and what he and then-President Obama discussed when they met at the White House for the very first time. You looked pretty sober sitting there in the Oval Office. Did something wash over you? Or? No, I think I'm a sober person. I think the press tries to make you into something uh, a little bit different. In my case, a little bit of a wild man. I'm not. I'm actually not. I'm a very sober person. Of course, during his campaign for president, Trump often took a different tone, especially when it came to the press. Most of it, 70 percent, 75 percent, is absolute dishonest, absolute scum. Remember that. Scum. Scum. On the road to the White House, Trump infamously mocked a disabled reporter. He said debate moderator Megyn Kelly had, quote, blood coming out of her eyes, blood coming out of her wherever. And he barred reporters he didn't like from covering his campaign events. I would never kill him, but I do hate him. And I, I, some of them are such lying, disgusting people. It's true. It's true. Turns out there's a very specific reason Trump talks about the press this way, which brings us back to that 60 Minutes interview with Leslie Stahl. Before the interview, I met with him in Trump Tower. More than a year after her interview with Trump, Stahl spoke about it in front of a group of journalists at an event in New York City. She described a conversation that she and the president-elect had had off-camera before their interview. And at one point he started to attack the press. And it, there were no cameras, there was nothing going on. And I said, you know, that is getting tired. Why are you doing this? You're doing it over and over and it's boring and it's, it's time to end that. And uh, why do you keep hammering at this? And he said, you know why I do it? I do it to discredit you all and demean you all so when you write negative stories about me, no one will believe you. He said that. So... Put that in your head for a minute. Yeah. Now are we ready for questions? <laughs> we're, all, we're all absorbing what you just said. Um, Stahl's story made headlines at the time because, as you can hear from the audience, it was shocking to hear something like that about the president. Now, with Donald Trump about to exit the job, we wondered what might change about how journalists do theirs. So we put that question to three veteran reporters on the White House beat. You're listening to Consider This from NPR. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. It's Friday, December 11th. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as isolation, depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment when you need professional help. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com consider to learn more and get 10% off your first month. Abigail Disney says if she ran the family company, she'd deal with the current economic crisis very differently. A CEO should be like a ship's captain. You know, if other people are drowning, you're the last one off the ship. 
ideas about the history and future of finding financial stability. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. It's Consider This from NPR. In January of 2017, there was some notion that things might change after Donald Trump became president. He was about to take an oath, after all, to protect and defend the Constitution. And the very First Amendment spells out the importance of a free press in American democracy. Uh, Before I get to the news of the day, I think I'd like to discuss a little bit of the coverage of the past 24 hours. Well, anyone wondering if the Trump White House would strike a different tone with the press got their answer less than 24 hours after he took the oath of office when Press Secretary Sean Spicer spoke to reporters in the White House briefing room. This was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period both in person and around the globe. Trump had spent his first day as president obsessing over reports that the crowd on his inauguration day was somewhat smaller than in years past. These attempts to lessen the enthusiasm of the inauguration are shameful and wrong. The Sean Spicer briefing came hours after Trump himself set the tone when, in his first full day as commander-in-chief, he spoke at the CIA in front of the agency's wall of stars honoring fallen officers. And the reason you're my first stop is that, as you know, I have a running war with the media. They are among the most dishonest human beings on earth. (laughs) That is how the Trump presidency began he would go on to attack the press in even more extreme terms, saying for the first time in February 2017 that the fake news is the enemy of the American people, something he repeated many times in the days and years that followed. Well, now as Trump's presidency nears its end, we have asked some of the men and women who've been writing the first draft of history to talk about what that's been like and where the relationship between the press and the presidency goes next. I spoke to NPR's Tamara Keith, Reuters' Jeff Mason, and Yamish Alcindor of the PBS NewsHour. Welcome, all three of you. Thank Good you. Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks. I-, I want to start by asking, was it clear to each of you from the very beginning quite how unconstrained by precedent and norms and facts this president would be, and how challenging it would be to cover a president engaged in, as we just heard him say there, a running war with the media. Uh, Yumi Shalsundor, you first. I felt like it was pretty clear that we were going to be dealing with someone um, in President Trump who was not going to be constrained by the facts. It was also clear that he was not going to pick his battles um, and make them big battles, that he was also going to go for small battles, and and that was part of his war. So when you saw Sean Spicer, that first White House press briefing, um, making something up, saying something that we know was demonstratively false, we knew that we were in for a sort of ride. I will say that, of course, I didn't know how rough of a ride we were going to be because the president later on and, and the people around him said that they wanted to make the media the opposition party. It's The media is a big, I call it the opposition party. The media is a big part of the problem. This really the fake news. They wanted to overwhelm the media to try to make um, us scramble and, and, and really appear as though we're the adversary of President Trump. Jeff Mason, an opening thought from you. Uh, what was clear from the very beginning in terms of how this presidency and, and its relationship with the press would unfold? Well, I would start by saying I was in the press pool that day and so was there for the CIA speech and then for the initial quote-unquote briefing uh, by Sean Spicer. I put that in quotation marks because he didn't take questions. He just 
basically ranted at us on behalf of the president. And I think the impression it gave me and all of us in the pool that day was these are the president's priorities. Like This is what he's going to be focusing on. It was going to be about some of these petty arguments that Yamish referred to and focusing on crowd size despite all evidence to the contrary of what he wanted to believe he had seen. This White House has been a machine of disinformation. But, but Tam, let me ask you about access. Um, because on the one hand, yes, a lot of disinformation uh, and canceling White House briefings and busting all kinds of norms. On the other hand, this president has been, I don't know, do you think the most accessible ever? You never have to wonder what he's thinking. Yeah, there is no thought that goes unuttered in President Trump's mind. He he either tweets it or tweets it 50 times or says it. China should start an investigation into the Biden. The walk from the White House to Marine One was not a media event until it became a media event. And now President Trump always stops and talks. You know, it's got a name. It's now called Chopper Talk unsolicited ballots they're unsolicited millions being sent to everybody and the we'll bane of radio's by, existence uh, because it's certainly all, the bane of radio's existence it's so helicopter chopper noise behind everything he says yeah the, the thing is it's all on his terms um he likes to have us shouting questions at him uh, yeah, go ahead. So, but you didn't answer my question you didn't answer my question because it sort of feeds the narrative that we're unruly beasts and part of the opposition party he wants the shouting Jeff Mason, you know, I was going to ask what has been your most challenging moment. Um, and I and I turn this one to you because I wonder if you and I share one. Thank you so much. Uh, we were both at the presidential palace in Helsinki for the infamous Trump-Putin press conference. Distinguished Mr. President, ladies and gentlemen. How did you think about just what is your job in that moment? Yeah, it's a, it's a definitely something that will stay in my memory for a long time. He had uh, started off the day with a tweet um, in which he, you know, essentially said any of the the issues between the United States and and Russia that have led to a weakening in the relationship are the fault of the U.S. So the first question from a U.S. journalist goes to Jeff Mason from Reuters. I believed my job in in that moment was to press him on what he had been saying. Thank you. Mr. President, you tweeted this morning that it's U.S. foolishness, stupidity, and the Mueller probe that is responsible for the decline in U.S. relations with Russia. Do you hold Russia at all accountable for anything in particular? And if so, what would you, what would you consider them that they are responsible for? Yes, I do. I hold uh, both countries responsible. I think that the United States has been foolish. I think we've all been foolish. We should have had this dialogue a long time ago. President Trump, of course, made the news there, but I had also asked Putin if he had wanted President Trump to win and if he had supported or directed his people to support that. Did you want President Trump to win the election, and did you direct any of your officials to help him do that? This came, you know, in the throes of the Russian investigation, and it was finally a chance to ask President Putin that, and his answer was yes. It was yes. I remember that. Another, another just stunning moment. 
Um, Yumish, you have, it, when you have questioned the president, famously gotten under his skin so much that at one point a hashtag We Love Yamish campaign was trending on Twitter. I want to play the moment that led to that. This is you questioning the president at a coronavirus task force briefing in March. You've said repeatedly that you think that some of the equipment that governors are requesting, they don't actually need. You said New York might need, I, I might not need 30,000. You said it on Sean Hannity's Fox News. You said you know, that why you don't, might. Why don't you some, people act? Let, let me ask you. You said why some don't state, you act? Why don't you act in a little more positive? It's always trying to my get question you. To you get is, you, get you. And you know what? That's why nobody trusts the media anymore. My That's question why to you people, is, how is that going to impact? Excuse me, you didn't hear me. That's why you used to work for the Times and now you work for somebody else. Look, let me tell you something. Be nice. Don't Mr. Be President, threatening. my question Don't is... Don't be threatening. Be nice. Yamiche Sindor, a lot of people listen to that moment, watch that moment, and similar moments where the president has confronted women of color, and they see racism. And I wonder, is that what you see? I see a president who doesn't want to answer a question and who is trying to do everything he possibly can to mislead the American people. Um, he, the president has lashed out at Peter Alexander of NBC, who's a white man. He's lashed out, of course, at Jeff Mason, yep. who was a white man. He's lashed out at Abby Phillip, who was a black woman, and April Ryan, who's a black woman. I'm not sure if I see racism, because I think more than racism is this equally nefarious agenda, which is that he does not want to take at all responsibility for his handling of this pandemic that has killed hundreds of thousands of Americans. So what now? Tamara Keith, when President Trump exits the White House, do things go back to how they were? I I just don't necessarily think that President Trump walks out of the White House, gets on Marine One, and everything snaps back to the way it was, you know, just because the new administration probably isn't going to call us enemies of the people or fake news doesn't mean that we just take it easy. <laughs> there will continue to be uh, an adversarial relationship between the, the press and the White House. There always is. I would guess that we will not be having chopper talk. I would guess that there will not be as many opportunities, I mean, based on what we've seen from the transition, there will not be as many opportunities to question the president as we've had for the past four years. Um, I think it is going to be different. Anything any of you will do differently, having experienced these last four years in terms of how you cover the incoming Biden administration? This is Jeff. I mean, one thing I won't do differently is... In, in formulating my questions. I think it's our job, regardless of who's in office, whether it's a Republican, a Democrat, a woman, a man, it's our job to ask hard questions and it's our job to demand and push for answers. And I think that the last four years has, in many ways, strengthened the White House press corps. We will approach this new administration with the same vigor that we approached the last one. And I think that's important because it, it goes to neutrality and it goes to the mission. Um, and our mission is to report the news and to get the facts. Jeff Mason of Reuters, Yamish Alcindor of the PBS NewsHour, and NPR's own Tamara Keith, three members of the White House Press Corps. Thanks to all of you and good luck these next four years. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. It's Consider This from NPR. I'm Mary Louise Kelly.